Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Ella Mills on building her wellness empire, but her message remaining the same. Pharmacist Una O'Hagan on how to keep your health front and centre this year. And on World Cancer Day, I'll be speaking to Stephen Teep about life after losing a loved one to the disease. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? I would say it was a week of ups and downs. My energy was funny this week. I can get to about 6 or 7pm and then my energy is gone. Annoyingly, I've been waking a bit in the night, not for long, but I do know the importance of a full night's sleep. So I've been living with sort of spurts of good energy and then a major fade in the evening. But that's winter really, isn't it? That cold, dark, I think... A lot of us are feeling that way and it's it's normal and natural as we've discussed on the show before. But with February arriving this week, I think we are all feeling that sense of change on the way. And I read a brilliant book this week. I mean, I say read, but I actually inhaled it. It's called Breakdown by Irish writer Cathy Sweeney. And it's about a woman who one day walks out of her life. And I just found it such an interesting exploration of the expectations society, our family put on us, as well as those we put on ourselves to perform and how things change over time and and we evolve and often we don't speak up for what our needs are. I would highly recommend it. It is easy sometimes to see how the mundane can just one day make you snap. I mean, I know I always wax lyrical about the importance of remaining grateful for the simplicity of life. And I don't really want to give any spoilers about the elements that are in this book that lead to this protagonist's walkout. But suffice to say, I loved it. It had me thinking and reading late into the night, which probably didn't help my sleep either, but it was actually well worth it. And while we're on the subject of reading, I often read books for work, either someone I'm having on the show or, you know, I'll have something to do with academia or personal development and I might have two or three on the go. And I've had a few recently and I actually started to feel it quite heavy going to read them just before I went to sleep. My son has been recently diagnosed with ADHD and I decided to read Gabor Mate's Shattered Minds. Now, I will talk about this again because it's an interesting look at the idea that it's not just a genetic condition, but can be derived from trauma, including growing up with stressed working parents. I decided not to be fearful of this, but to dive right in. I'm only a few chapters in, but I was starting to have nightmares. I was starting to wake in the night thinking that me and my son were in a dangerous jungle, waking with my heart pounding. And I think you could easily see the connection between that. And I had a coffee recently with two friends from the wellness world, Catherine O'Keefe and Jack Kavna, and they were listing off some books that they'd recommend in this space. And they were like, oh, no, you don't read books like that at night. You know, I set aside a bit of time in the morning or in the afternoon to sit and read a chapter or just even a, a couple of pages. And that was like a revelation to me because I always talk about our nighttime and our bedroom being our sanctuary. So to be taking on big, lofty texts and learning just before you're expected to go to sleep may be a little bit too much. If that's something you're doing, I thought I would pass on that top tip. But do let me know if you read either of those books, Shattered Mind by Gabor Mate or Breakdown by Cathy Sweeney, and we'll talk again. 
you can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, pharmacist and CEO of Mars Pharmacy, Una O'Hagan, is one of Ireland's leading voices in health, from empowering others to take ownership of their own well-being to championing wellness brands through the Going for Goat programme. And from spending time with her on our Gut Health events, she is a force of good and she joins me in studio now to talk about how we can prioritise our health this year. Una, you're very welcome. Oh, thank you very much, Claire. Thanks for the invite in, as always. I hope we get to do some more events over yeah. this year because it was lovely. I just don't know where the months go in yeah. between and it does take some planning, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It just doesn't happen overnight. But it's lovely getting like-minded people into a room like that, isn't it? You know, and you feel like people are all there for the same reason and people really do want want to look after their health, you know, and want to learn more. So it's great just to be in that environment with people who are all sharing that experience. So yeah, no, absolutely. We'll definitely do something in 2024 again. Why not? And gut health is a really good one, I always think, not only because it's, you know, scientifically backed, but it's about what are you adding in rather than the usual restriction that we hear. Take this out, take that out. And we feel like there's good behaviour and bad behaviour. Yeah. And gut health is something, there's quite something quite nourishing about taking on your gut health. Yeah, well, I think like we all eat every day. So it's something we can control. You know, and we are what we eat, but actually I I believe we are what we absorb. So it's much more than what we put into our bodies, actually that breakdown of those nutrients and what we can actually take from our gut into our blood system, into our cells, because they need to get into the mitochondria of the cells to actually do something. So just explaining all of that and the process of that and what, you know, role that the microbiome plays in that digestive system in order to enable that. And of course, then we know, Claire, you know, as you well know, research is only really catching up now on what else the microbiome does. So it is all about digestion. And when I was in college in an undergrad 20 odd years ago studying pharmacy, all we learned about the gut was it was to break down food and eliminate waste. But now we know actually it is the second brain. It's connected to our brain via the vagus nerve. So what goes on in our gut has a massive impact on our brain health and vice versa. And also just in terms of controlling inflammation in the body, how it's linked to our skin health, our neurological health. This is a whole new area of development now. How, you know, what goes on in our gut is absolutely is linked to various different neurological issues in our bodies, you know. So, and I'm even speaking at a conference in two weeks time in Belfast where there is a world leader coming to speak in Belfast about the role of the microbiome in um, repeated pregnancy loss, would you believe? And how treating the microbiome can really help, you know, women maintain pregnancies. And this is not women with fertility issues. This is just repeated pregnancy loss. So the role of the microbiome has a role in our metabolic health, our hormone health, our skin health, our immune health, like 70% of our immune system is in our gut obviously in our digestive health, but also in our mental health too. So what else do these little bacteria do? We're only discovering, really, you know. I know, it's fascinating. I mean, 90% of the serotonin is created in the gut and that's that feel-good hormone we're all constantly chasing along with the the dopamine hit. And you mentioned the absorption of nutrients. So you meet people a lot of the time through your work who say, I'm eating a really good diet, but I still feel tired all the time or I'm getting sick a lot and and that might be down to gut health. health. Absolutely because if your microbiome is not optimal, if you don't have the right amount of good bacteria and and if there's an imbalance there, 
then you're not able to break down all the great nutrition that you're taking into your body. So you could be eating all the best organic food, you could have a perfect diet, but if your microbiome is not in sync, it's not working optimally, um, if you've got too many pathogenic bacteria versus good bacteria, then you're not able to break down the complex carbohydrates. And this is, you know, and then therefore you're not able to absorb the nutrients. You're not able to get the best out of that diet, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And also we know if your gut health is not optimal, you can have little splits in the gut wall. Like don't forget that the gut wall is only one centimetre, one cell thick. And the reason for that is for that diffusion of nutrients from the gut into the blood system. So it's very delicate. So again, it can split. Things get out of the gut that should never escape the gut and travel the vagus nerve. And that's a whole big link now where they feel that different proteins, curly proteins are moving up the vagus nerve and and depositing in the brain and causing, contributing to the likes of Parkinson's disease and so on and so forth. But also things get into the gut that shouldn't be getting into the gut neither. So it's really keeping that gut wall intact, making sure that, you know, what should be in the gut stays in the gut and waste materials don't get into your circulation either. So just the role of the gut lining, gut health in general, those bacteria, you don't see them, you see, Claire. So whenever you don't see something, you don't even know how important it is. But there are more bacteria in our body than there are human cells. So I always think that's mind-blowing. Like we are like a big ball of bacteria walking around in a human host. We live in symbiosis with them. They do lots for us and we feed them to help them grow and thrive. So the question is, what do they do for us? Like we would be so naive to think that they don't do things. Like there is more bacteria in us than there are stars in the Milky Way. So we are only discovering what some of these species do. We don't, we haven't even named half the species, you know, so there's, and, and unfortunately half the species are gone compared to the 1940s. Since the invention of processed foods, we have lost a lot of species, which we will never know, we'll never get back, we'll never know what they did for us. But there is no doubt in my mind that since the invention of processed food and ultra-processed foods, There is a direct correlation between that invention and how we eat today and the increase in autoimmune diseases and different diseases. And I can even see it in pharmacy compared to when I qualified first to today, like so many diseases that we would have only attributed maybe to older generations, you know, when I first qualified, are now being seen in younger generations. And just the amount of people that have various different diseases compared to back then you know, is it's completely different. So there is a direct correlation. There is no doubt in my mind that our nutrition, how we're eating, has a massive impact on our health. So if you boil that all back, like if you want to really look after your gut health and actually just your overall health, it is about what we're putting into our body. And we can control that, you see. And I sometimes think that when you break it all down and explain it to people, you know, once people get it, they, then they realise, actually, no, I, I can control this. And these are little, small, sustainable steps that you can build on. You know, you're not going from what you're doing now today to being ultra perfect. It's like we eat three times a day, seven days a week. Yes, 21 times. So even if you were to, you know, focus on one of those meals every day to be a little bit better, then that's a third that you can move the dial by and then you can build upon that, you know. And for me, it's not about, it's obviously what we eat in the whole foods and eating lots of plants, you know, 30 plants a week 
It's about diversity as well because these little bacteria that live in us, some of them, like me and you, you might like Chinese, I might like Indian. Well, they like different foods as well. So you can't feed them all the same thing because you won't get them all to grow and flourish. So it's about diversity. And that's why we say 30 different plants a week. Feed them lots of different colours because the colours represent polyphenols. So polyphenols, when the plants are growing in nature, polyphenols protect them against the elements, against, you know, wind and sunlight and all of the rest. But those polyphenols are really superfoods. They are really powerful antioxidants. And if you want to think of them as like rocket fuel for your microbiome, they supercharge it. So lots and lots of colour on your plate gets them to grow and flourish. Lots of diversity because then you'll get in different subsets to grow. And and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to have a very diverse microbiome. So, and in doing that, you'll be able to break down complex carbohydrates. You'll be able to take the nutrients from your food into your cells to get the best from it. Those little bacteria detoxify our body. They also make B vitamins, B vitamins we need for energy. They make vitamin K, which has a role for clotting, etc. in our body. But also they train our immune system. They tell our immune cells what to do. So having a healthy microbiome supports our immune system. But like you said, they make 90% of our serotonin, our happy hormone. They make short-chain fatty acids. We don't even talk about that. But those are really important chemicals in our body like the, like that have huge health benefits. Like butyrate is one of them. It's hugely anti-inflammatory. It helps. It's anti-carcinogenic. It is really healing on the gut wall. So it heals up the gut wall. Um, so all of these, but there's propionate and acetate and loads of short-chain fatty acids that these bacteria produce that have a knock-on effect to our health. So just because we can't see them doesn't mean that we shouldn't look after them. And it is about making them grow and flourish. And Because once they the good bacteria grow, they it's not like we get rid of the pathogenic bacteria, but it nearly pushes them to the side so that they can't grow. They can't compete with each other for food, if that makes sense. So it's having a really healthy microbiome looks after your digestive health, but also looks after your overall health as well, yeah. Yeah, so look, it's a really good place to start. And I always think you're a brilliant voice on this because not only do you have all of the wealth of knowledge through your qualification and your work, but you're a really busy person. You get it. You know, you've a huge number of people working for you. You are involved in all manner of different things, talks, going for growth. You have your family. Obviously, you still want to, you know, have your relationships, your friends, all of that you're juggling. But you prioritise eating well to allow you to do all of that. And, and I do understand it is hard for people and the way we market food and the way food is on our shelves yeah. with preservatives to give it a longer shelf life. Yeah. It can feel like it's really hard to do, but I think it's really good advice for you to say, pick one meal, start yeah. throwing more stuff into it, yeah. count your nutrients, add more colour and it's a really good place to start. Yeah. What about supplements then? Because I think sometimes people think a supplement can cure all ills you know yeah. they can do away with bad behaviour by adding in a, a, a few pills yeah no, no, well like I think the whole secret in supplements is in the word it's a supplement so it's to supplement your diet really so it all starts with diet like we said um, there's nothing better than getting you know your vitamins and your minerals from the food that you're eating however however there are certain lifestyles that we choose now today that, you know, for example, if you're vegan, you may choose a vegan lifestyle. So therefore, you're going to be lacking in vitamin B12 and in iron and different things that you would normally get from, you know, meat uh, products. So it's really important for people who choose a particular lifestyle like a vegan lifestyle to to recognize what they might be lacking. And so therefore to supplement in, in that case. 
there are other people who just don't like particular vegetables or don't like eating fish or don't like they're not, you know, vegan as such, but they just don't like certain things. So again, if you're not having a particular macronutrient in your diet or there's certain things you don't like, then you need to identify, well, what could you possibly be lacking? And as a result of that, that's when supplementation comes in. And then, as you said, we're all really, really busy, um, including myself, and I'm not perfect at all. But and and sometimes, you know, you reach for processed food and you reach for things because it's handy and, and you're, you know, you're just trying to get a meal into you or, or to look after the kids or whatever. But in doing that, you know, not only are you not getting uh, proper nutrients into you, but you're also taking in these preservatives and these emulsifiers and so on and so forth. And, and that has a negative impact to our microbiome and just to our health in general. So supplementation is really, really handy way to top up what you might not be, what you're missing. But also some of the foods that we eat today, Claire, like, you know, like plants, and for example, are growing out of soil that is still not the same nutrient quantity that we would have had years and years ago. You know how we would have grown, like my granny grew everything. My dad, he grows things in the greenhouse, whatever. But if you buy things in the supermarket, think about where they're coming from. Think of the over-farming. They just don't have the same nutrient quality in it. And if you look even at, I found a really fascinating study recently where where it was looking at women and how deficient we are in magnesium. Like 70% of us are deficient in magnesium. Magnesium we get from the soil as a mineral, but it's involved in 300 processes in our body. It's really important for our central nervous system. It's really important for our muscle health and, and just to relax us. And particularly when you go through perimenopause and menopause, you really notice magnesium deficiencies because you notice in your joints and twitching legs and the likes and headaches and migraines and so on and so forth. And so, it can help with sleep, which absolutely. is obviously a huge yeah, place to work yeah, on our yeah, yeah. sleep works our overall health. Yeah. So sometimes we think, you know, we're eating well and so therefore we have all of the nutrients. But that's not the case, you know, that's not the case. And then when you come to supplements itself, you know, it's a minefield. And I understand that because I talk to people every day in pharmacy and there's just so much choice, I suppose. And there's so many products on shelves with different price points. And they all say they have, you know, vitamin D and vitamin C and so on and so forth. The big thing for me in terms of supplementation, three things really. Number one, what does it contain, right? And does it have that nutrient, whatever it is you're looking for, whether it be vitamin D, vitamin C, in the right concentration to make a difference? Because sometimes it says it has vitamin D in it, but there's a trace amount. And it's not going to do anything for you. It's not at a level that you need. That's How will you know what the optimal level is? Well, on the back of the packet, it will tell you, well, A, where the source is from. It should say that. And it also should say the, the level of concentration, as well as the recommended daily intake. So you should be able to scan the back of the packet and see, actually, is that a tiny amount? Is that only a fraction of what I actually need? Right? Or you speak to the pharmacist that's on, you know what I mean? Like, you can always reach out to people and ask for help if you need that. Second thing then is um, the delivery system of it, you know. So sometimes, again, you can get different vitamins, minerals delivered into, uh, you know, in a tablet, in a capsule or whatever, but it's not going to get into the cells in your body. Like, you know, but most vitamin Cs, like, are lost. You pee them out. You know, you don't even take the vitamin C in. Up to nearly 70% of the vitamin C is excreted from the body. And that's simply because they haven't mastered how to get the vitamin C actually from your gastrointestinal tract into the cells in your body. So it's really important to figure out the bioavailability of a product as well. And that's why I love products like, you know, that are liposomal, for example, that are wrapped in phospholipids because that protects the product with whatever that supplement might be through the gastrointestinal tract and get it into your cells. 
Um, so there's a good brand called Zuki that do that. Um, or that's why I love Sunproof because again, it, they have you know suspended the bacteria in an acid-based um, solution so that the bacteria are used to live in in an acidic environment. So they survive the stomach because they have to get through the stomach in order to get to the large intestine to where your microbiome is. And so they survive that get to the large intestine so then they can work. So again, it is just about thinking cleverly around that and making sure that the product actually has clinical evidence behind it and is backed actually by scientists rather than, you know, just a claim made by the actual manufacturer itself. Yeah, exactly. And be yeah. really careful where you're getting that information from and uh-huh. ask somebody. Uh-huh. I just want to ask you one more because I'm conscious that, you know, people can get bamboozled by this amount of information, albeit yeah. that we've re- you've really boiled it down to some quite simple tips. Yeah. And I want to ask you something about self-worth because I think there's a real attachment between that and people and their health and well-being to yeah. think they're worthy to wake up in the morning and feel yeah. full of energy. Yeah. Um, and I think people get stuck in feeling a five out of ten and they kind of stay there. You work on a lot of with a lot of brands through going for growth. Yeah. And I, I see a lot of them tend to be wellness because that's kind of your area of expertise. And I see people coming in who've got to a certain stage and you help them to really start to believe in themselves a little bit more, as well as some of the business strategies, of course. Yeah. So what would you say to people about self-worth? How do you start to bring about that sense of, of self-belief a little bit more and that you deserve more in this life? Yeah, well, I think, you know, whether it be a brand or a business or whether it be you just yourself, um, it is really important to understand what are your personal core values, right? And I think once you know that and you do that work on yourself, right, then no matter what you do during the day, if it's aligned to that, then you are aligned to your purpose. So it's really knowing what your purpose is. What's your why? Why do you get up in the morning? What is it that you love to do? And for me... Anybody who has a business that is aligned to that, it doesn't feel like work. But I, I never feel like I'm going to work. I love what I do because we're, we're in the business of helping people. Yeah. And it's the same for going for growth people. Sometimes they start a business because it's something that they really love. They're really creative people. You know, they might have created a skincare brand or they might have created even a supplement or, you know, they got into something because they absolutely love it and it's their passion. And then they reach a plateau because they don't know how to take it from A to B. You know, they don't know how to employ those business strategies. So I always try and bring it back to, well, why did you get into this business in the first place? And bring it back to that purpose. And once they get, the, once they can reconnect with that love and that passion, then all the rest is just putting processes in place. And it's the same for me with people as well. You know, if you can connect to what is your why, because a lot of us, like the last McKinsey study, I think it was 85% of people are working in jobs they hate. How sad is that? Such like, a huge amount of your time. So uh, Your whole life. We only have, like this is, we, we don't, this is not dress rehearsal like. We're only here for a short time. So you might as well be working in something that you love to do because then it won't feel like work. Because guess what? I think success doesn't bring happiness, Claire. It's happiness that brings success. Mm. So once you're happy in whatever it is that you're doing and it, that that brings you that purpose that you feel like you're making an impact, whether it be to your family, your little community or to globally, once you feel that and you're connected to that, then it will be successful. And that goes for a person, it goes for a business as well. So it's really reconnecting and knowing that yourself. And that's doing a little bit of work on yourself and figuring out what is your why? What actually, when you peel it all back, what matters to you? And that's self-reflection, really. And as you said, it doesn't have to be building a brand or building a business. It can be just knowing that your value is family and getting up and and caring for your family 
at home. Yeah. Fabulous advice as always. I want to give people your handle on Instagram. It's Una O'Hag. I mean, it's actually Una O'Hag, but we won't. <laughs> yeah, double O N A G H. Everybody just spells with U N A. But I, I don't know why I set it up. Una O'Hag. I just obviously ran out of. <laughs> I didn't fill in the last two letters. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's far from a hag. You are Una O'Hag, and thank you so much for coming on. Great and simple advice from Una, as always. And I know there was a lot of science and knowledge there, but just remember she boiled it down to trying to improve what's on our plates, even one meal at a time. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Now, today is World Cancer Day, an annual event aimed at uniting the world in the fight against cancer. The theme this year, and has been since 2022, close the care gap, asking policy and decision makers around the world to prioritise cancer by reducing inequity in healthcare. My guest this morning is Stephen Teep, who lost his wife Irene to cervical cancer in 2017. Their boys were just four and two at the time. Irene was one of 17 women who passed away from cervical cancer, not knowing that an audit had been performed on her smear tests and had returned much different results to the ones that were originally given to her. Irene's story and eventually over 400 more women became known as the cervical check scandal made public by Vicky Phelan. Stephen Teep joins me on the line now. Stephen, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you, Stephen. How do you find interviews like this? I know you really began to to use your voice to, to speak up and to speak out, but how do you find me as the media asking you to trawl through what was such a, a difficult chapter in your life. Yeah, you know, um, like the media have been great. People like you uh, giving us a platform over the last number of years, whether it was campaigning during the scandal or or even just doing fundraising for charities and so on. But I think every time I do an interview and I suppose I'm at it now since the scandal broke oh, in April, May 2018, it's the listening back to the introduction you just gave there now um I'm, I'm almost like pinching myself to say like god is did all that actually happen um do you know it's just um this was just such massive changes in our life when we lost irene and just hearing it all back every time is in a kind of a recap you know it's uh yeah it, it, you, you kind of like god did that all really happen is that me you know but uh it is that's our life and this is what we do with it and I've often thought about you and your family in particular, Stephen, at the time that the scandal broke and finding out after your wife's death that perhaps her life could have been saved. Um, I mean, you went from thinking that she'd been unlucky and grieving to, I'm sure, confused and angry. And I've often wondered, were you better off not knowing? How have you come to process it all? Your great loss, but then using your voice to speak out. I suppose like with grief, you go through all the stages, you know, the emptiness, the sadness, the anger and so on. Um, When that scandal broke, it was nine months after Irene had passed away. And I was nine months then into, you know, single parenting, looking after two boys, just got the youngest out of nappies and so on. And um, while I was still in an element of shock uh, by Irene's death, it was a case of that it was... um, you know, Irene was just another um, victim of cancer, another one of these really, really sad stories. And this time it had affected us. And when the scandal broke, I suppose for me, that was the day that without knowing the facts that 
maybe Irene didn't have to die and that she was no longer just a victim of cancer, but obviously a victim of something else. And that's when campaigning and advocacy began for me to try and get to the truth of what happened to Irene um, to get the answers for myself and my boys. Um, and I guess you're kind of, you're trying to battle through the shock of losing someone, then the shock of the scandal. And, um, you know, you you surround yourself with people to, to keep motoring on. And I suppose I was very fortunate to to make a great friend early on with uh, Vicky Phelan. And I suppose between the two of us, we um, we laid out what we wanted to achieve straight on, straight straight away with regards to getting to the truth, um, ensuring that what happened to Vicky and Irene doesn't happen to anybody else. And I, if you if you remember back, we 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 appreciated and we knew the importance of screening, and the importance of it working correctly and so on. And the the more people that are screened, the better. And catching cancer at a very early stage is the best way to to beat it. And we were always, always still encouraging people to go for the screening, even though it had let us down and our families down. Um, we still we still we still saw the importance of it, and making it better was what it was all about for us. Yeah, and it was very powerful what you managed to achieve um, on behalf of of everybody affected, and as you say, future women and people in the screening service. Are you glad that? Irene didn't know about the scandal. I don't know how spiritual you are. Perhaps you feel she may in some way know. But how did you navigate that in your mind? I do know, Matt. I've, I think about it a lot. and My, my opinion uh, kind of changes uh, so a lot on that, you know. Um, look, I'm a strong believer that everybody has a right to know um, their business, particularly with their bodies and their information. So at the end of the day, I look at that's where my thought is going to thoughts on, on that question is always going to land. Um, what makes me angry now that after four and a half years and going through the whole legislation, high court process to get to the truth. And now that I know the truth, do I do, do I think um, it would be better that if Irene knew it? The truth is just so hard to swallow that all these mistakes were made with her her life, which is resulting in her death, that I don't know, did she need to know that? But however, the piece of the puzzle that uh, makes me most angry was that she was denied an opportunity of knowing and denied an opportunity of providing for her children for when she was gone. But more than that, she had asked, Irene had asked the question throughout um, from day one when she got uh, her cancer diagnosis. How did this happen? I did everything right. And she used to look after her body. She used to go to uh, for her smear test when she was called. She was, she was very diligent when it, when it came to looking after herself. Yeah. And, and she, that's a message from Vicky Phelan also. We're experts on our own body and really advocate for yourself. And when something doesn't feel right, speak up. So I, I see exactly what you're saying there, because that's how Irene felt. And yet she didn't have the correct answer. Yeah, she died. Um, not knowing that it was or without it being confirmed for that. Yes, you did absolutely everything right. It wasn't this wasn't your mistake. It was somebody else's. And that question was left unanswered for her. And she passed away, never knowing that answer. And she passed away without the opportunity of uh, being able to provide for her children as well, knowing the truth. Um, so that's the piece that I live with that makes me angry. And I guess I, I, I'll remain forever angry knowing that uh, piece. And 
because it's World Cancer Day, I, I want to ask you, because often we, we don't hear about the people around those with the diagnosis, because understandably, of course, the attention goes there. But how is it to be the partner, the husband of somebody who gets a cancer diagnosis? It is. Um, look, I think it's it, it's it's life changing for everyone. Um, you are just in a position of support. There's absolutely nothing you wouldn't do for that person. And being the husband, the wife, the partner, the friend of someone that is going through um, a cancer journey, trying to beat it, you're, you're just in that position of support. Um, it's obviously very upsetting to watch because you're powerless, absolutely powerless in the process. And all you can do is support the person um, that's fighting it uh, as best as you possibly can and making their lives as easy as, as you possibly can. And putting them first, you don't even think about yourself. It's obviously you have to put them first. And that really is where the fight is. And for for us, it was always, we were always fighting to beat cancer. You know, you don't, you don't ever fight to, to lose this battle. You're fighting to win. And thankfully, I suppose we live in a day today where more people are living with cancer. Um, I've been provided with a lot of statistics over the last few weeks for this campaign. And, you know, like they're, they're frightening enough in that every 15 minutes people are diagnosed. Uh, someone is diagnosed with cancer in Ireland. But thankfully, with research and treatment and so on, people are living longer with cancer. More people are beating it. And um, that is a that's thanks to the help of research, charities, but also individuals that I suppose the husbands, the wives, the friends that, that go back to your original question that are find themselves in that position of support to help whatever way they can. Yeah, you're right. And the, and the screening and, and advocating for our own health and really listening to our own our own bodies that with the advances in research and treatment, more people are surviving cancer and living with cancer. Exactly. How are you and the boys doing six years on? We're doing fine. Um, the boys are like they were four and two, as you said in your introduction, when um, when Irene passed away. They're 11 and eight now. Um, neither of them had started primary school back then. But, um, they're in fifth class and second class now. And they have all of their routines and, and uh, sports and everything is taking over and like any parent out there will sympathize with me when when you're when I say my parenting role has now progressed to a stage where I'm a full time chauffeur to their events and a full time <laughs> chef to their appetites, you know, so it's, uh, that's where they're at. But, you know, look, they have their sad days, obviously. Um, I make a point of ensuring that they have um, that they're able to talk about their feelings, particularly around their mother. If this is a. This isn't a conversation that we shy away from in, in my house. And I think dialogue is key, particularly with children who are going through grief, um, as much as it is for adults that are going through grief. Also, um, for myself, a number of years ago, I had a fabulous job that I, I, I gave up to become a full-time parent, to give, a, I suppose, some stability to my house here and to the lads' lives, and particularly when they, they, were, they, they were so young. And, um, you know, I suppose these have been the the best years for the three of us because I've been there so much for them. And um, it's time that, you know, you don't get back. So I'm glad that I did that for them and for me and so on. So um, this is the year now that uh, I think I get back into the workforce that uh, apart from chauffeur driving my children around and 
cooking the meals constantly that I can, I can, I can, I start to get back into the workforce again, you know, um, but um, look, we're doing good. We're living each day as it comes and uh, we're living it as in the best way as we possibly can. Yeah. And, and, you know, have some focus on, on you. Obviously, a lot of your focus was, of course, with Irene and then with your boys. But, you know, now it might be time for, for you to, to think about you in all of this. I've been doing a lot of work over the last few years. Like, obviously, I, while, I, while I gave up the paid job, I've been doing the advocacy one and um, the unpaid work, the, the patient advocate and advocacy. And I'm very busy with that. And I sit still with a, a lot of um, on a lot of committees in the HSC um, in different areas that uh, we had been campaigning for over the year, like the patient safety bill, for example. And then there's the 221 plus support group and the work that they're doing. So I have been kept busy. And then um, I suppose what I what I enjoy most is, is is this campaign now and talking to yourself when when you get to, I suppose, try and um, do a bit of good with the I suppose it was the worst thing that's happened in our lives and in our world. Try and put a, somewhat of a positive spin on it and raise awareness and to help cancer charities like the ones we're doing here at the moment with uh, three charities for the face up the cancer campaign so um, and this is where um, some, I try and get some good out of it all and uh, raise awareness and have these these conversations with you well it's just one of uh, the most incredible elements of the human spirit is the ability to do that and and, and you know not everybody can do it or, or should do it and you know it is understandable for people to you know stay in that grief and do it their own way. But, you know, what you have done with what happened in your life and in your family's life is is really incredible. And as Stephen mentioned there, he is ambassador for the Face Up to Cancer campaign for the first time ever. Three Irish charities, Breast Cancer Ireland, Breakthrough Cancer Research and the Marie Keating Foundation have come together to put their collective weight and support behind the Face Up to cancer campaign and it's to raise funds to help save the lives of the one in two people who will be diagnosed with the disease in their lifetime. So you might have seen some of the billboards around. All you have to do is go to faceuptocancer.ie. You take a selfie or upload a picture of a loved one and put it on the campaign website with a donation if you can and all of those photos will be added into the incredible mosaic of real people who have experienced a cancer diagnosis or somebody in their life and help those who are working to find new treatments for the disease. Again, it's faceuptocancer.ie. Stephen Teep, thank you so much for coming on and I wish you and the boys all the very, very best. Thank you very much. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Ella Mills started her blog in her 20s after spending years in bed chronically ill but unexplained by medical experts. She began to experiment in her kitchen with plant-based foods to see if that would have any impact on her seemingly autoimmune condition. Not only did her health begin to flourish, but she also began to build a massive community leading to best-selling cookbooks and now a brand selling in major supermarkets, two London cafes, all under the umbrella of Deliciously Ella. Since her life has become busier as a business owner and now with a family, her latest book, her seventh, Healthy Made Simple, 
aims to make food that helps us feel good even easier to incorporate into our lives. And Ella Mills joins me in studio now. Ella, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I do think we have had a phone interview before, perhaps on one of your other books, but this is our first time meeting. So it's a real pleasure. And I think it's been a real pleasure to watch your journey. Um, You never started out to create an empire, so it has really been quite the journey for you. It really has been. I mean, yes, when I started Deliciously Ella, that was back in 2012 and it was a really personal project. I'd become very, very ill with a chronic condition and I looked to health and to nutrition and changes in my lifestyle to try and regain my health. And I learned to cook and I was so excited about how easy it was to cook this delicious, simple, plant-rich diet. And I felt evangelical about telling people the benefits, but actually that it was so much easier and so much more delicious than anyone ever thought it would be. And certainly than I thought it would be. I used to think it would be like rabbit food. And suddenly this community just appeared and it's all sort of spiraled since then. And we've ended up, yeah, with many, many strands to the business and what we do and in a world a million miles away from where I ever thought I would be. And back then, people weren't really saying plant-based. It wasn't discussed the way it was now. Social media wasn't harnessed the way it is now. I mean, you started with the the blog, didn't you? Uploading just recipes. Exactly. I always think it feels so strange sitting here in 2024 and talking to you and saying no one talks about plant-based. No one talks about the link between what we eat and our health. Um, No one was using Instagram and it feels so strange. And I think people who had never heard of Delicious Yellow and are listening to this must think I'm on some wild ego trip. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, this the rate of change we've seen is extraordinary. And that was why I started Delicious Yellow was I wanted to start to cook simple dishes that were celebrating tints of lentils and aubergines. And no one was cooking this way. Plant-based wasn't a term people were using. You had the traditional vegan recipes but it was very much meat mimics and swapping um you know a normal sausage for a vegan sausage and that I didn't want to use ultra processed food I wanted to to get rid of that in my diet and really celebrate simple whole food ingredients um and then as you said I started on Instagram and I remember a girlfriend recommending it to me as a platform for delicious yellow saying there's this thing called Instagram it's quite cool (laughs) (laughs) which again you just can't believe it's such a cornerstone for so many of us and such a kind of cultural pillar today and again how quick that's been and it was the same when the first book came out which was January 2015 so gosh almost 10 years ago and it became the fastest selling debut cookbook ever out of nowhere like it wasn't meant to be a success and again that was all down to the community that we'd built on Instagram and our whole business has been from that in so many ways like my husband and I still own the business 100% and it's so it's totally family run, family owned. Um, and there's no way we could have scaled it. You know, we're almost 100 people now. We've got our own factory. Um, we're in 10,000 to over 10,000 shops, 40 countries. And like that never would have happened because our whole marketing is on Instagram. It's all about community, all about being useful for our community. So it's just been amazing to be part of this. So many different changes in the way that the world feels like it's working and to spread this mission of getting more people cooking more plants more of the time. And is that what has kept you centred through it all, that that is your mission to help others, to introduce them to simple recipes that will make them feel good? Because it must get crazy at times when you're taking on staff or planning 
billboard ads or packaging for granola. There must be moments that are pinch me in an amazing way, but also it, it must be pretty scary sometimes. Oh, 100%. Like I think owning and building your own business is the most extraordinary roller coaster, and you do have these amazing highs, but you have the lowest of lows. And certainly like the period around COVID with Brexit, all the different lockdowns, inflation, um, it was a very difficult time to steer the business through. And we had a personal guarantee against our house. We had two very small children, two girls under two, and trying to manage it all, keep the business afloat. I mean, it was really, you felt the pressure was extraordinary at points. And my husband and I both really struggled. But then when it's great, it's extraordinary. But as you said, like it's always been the why for me. And that's why I started Delicious Yellow. It was this deeply personal mission. I know what it's like to struggle with your health and struggle to find a way out of that and to the darkness that can come with it. And every day since I shared my story, um, I've had people all around the world tell me their stories about how changing their diet has had such a positive impact on their health. And it's so humbling and it's so inspiring. And I've been doing loads of events this month around my new book, Healthy Made Simple. And Every day I'm meeting people in real life and they're telling me their real life stories about how much it's helped. And it's just, you feel this, it's almost like a desperate need to get it to more people. And, you know, I think the stats are pretty similar in Ireland as they are in the UK and, and really across most of the Western world, which is now up to and around two thirds or so of our calories are starting to come from ultra processed food. You know, about a third of us ish get our five a day. Like we're really struggling to eat in the way that we know we need to eat for good health and we need a collective u-turn and so whenever I hear the impact that it's had and know that actually it is easier than people think it is more delicious than people think and I feel I can share that with anyone who's interested and is curious to start to feel empowered in their health and the way they cook for them their partner their family their friends whoever's in their life it's you, it's a quite addictive almost, the desire to get it out there in the world. And it doesn't come, as you say, without some lows and also some criticisms. I was reading in the Sunday paper interview that you did that your dad warned you that there's almost a cycle that people will big you up and then tear you down. And it does happen a lot in the wellness world that anybody that speaks out within it or tries to share something within it, you come under fire to either have it all figured out or that you have to be a certain way. How has that been to navigate? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I look, I think it happens to lots of public figures and I think it happens in particular to women. And I have seen a hefty dose, if we were being honest about it, of misogyny in the commentary and it can be very vitriolic. And I started my career when I was so young. I was in my early 20s. I had just come out of this really dark period I was very depressed when I was ill and I had very low self-esteem I had a real sense of imposter syndrome as the business was getting going and as you said I felt that I could never live up to what people wanted me to be and the sense of that pressure and that vulnerability I found it incredibly overwhelming and I think because I was so young and the landscape was so different I often struggled to stand up for myself and I had to really think about that quite long and hard in terms of what I wanted for my career I think especially coming out of having my two daughters and what what I wanted to be in the world and it was it was coming back to this drive to really try and make a difference to people's lives to really spread this message as I said like we desperately need this u-turn with our health and if we can be one resource to help people do that 
one voice in the room to offer a different way of doing things when it comes to our diets. That is such a privilege and that is so exciting. And ultimately, you know, I think when I started, people were still saying to me, sorry, so do you actually think what you eat might impact your health? And I, no, no one's really asking that anymore. I think we unequivocally know the answer is yes, it does. And we need to be eating more plants. We need to, we need to be eating more whole grains, whole foods. But the question is now, how do we do it? The food landscape is really difficult. Like so much of what's on shelf is ultra processed food. That food is oftentimes incredibly cheap. The marketing is deeply compelling. Like some of the sugariest cereals that you could have that have no nutritional value, say on the front of packets, supporting your family's health. Like it's a complete minefield. So I think it's important that no one takes from what I'm saying, what what anyone else is saying in the world of health and wellness, that it's all the onus is on the individual. It's not. We need a collective shift to make a difference. So with this book, your seventh book, Healthy Made Simple, you're really trying to make it as simple as possible because you get what it's like to have a busy lifestyle. You have it. You're running your business. You know, you're trying to keep your relationships going. You have two small kids. So everything in it can be made within about 30 minutes. It's exactly that. And all our recipes, all of our recipes have always been quite simple. That's a big part of what we do. But it was when my daughter, my first daughter was born, yeah, almost five years ago, that that need for real speed came in because between owning the business and having a newborn, I'd gone from having not much time to no time. And it became all about what step can I take out? What ingredients can I take out? Where do you find that sweet spot between deliciousness, convenience, nutrition and speed? Because I believe so passionately that healthy food has to taste good. Health isn't about diet culture. It's not dieting. It's not compromising. It's not restriction. It's not deprivation. It's finding a balance and a way of living and a way of cooking and eating and looking after your body that you could be doing for decades. Like this isn't a six week plan. This is the rest of your life. And you find the balance in that that works for you. And so it has to taste good. You have to be satisfied. But equally, so many of us have great intentions. You know, something like only 10% of people keep up with their New Year's resolutions past January. And I think it's because the intentions are great, but they're often quite on a bandwagon or off a bandwagon. It's quite extreme. And I think losing that's important. Um, But equally, it's often things like time that get in the way. Like we have great intentions. We want to eat well. We want to cook healthy food, but our jobs, you know, take up a lot of our life. Our other responsibilities take up a lot of our life. And so... I think it has to be on the table as quick as humanly possible. And again, it's the same with nutrition. Like it still needs to be packed with goodness. And that's where I found uh, under 10 ingredients. So most recipes are seven to 10 ingredients and then under 30 minutes and no more than five steps, which I just find is like sometimes you open a recipe and it's not actually that complicated, but it looks a bit overwhelming. And I just wanted people to open it and see, you know, a couple of sentences and feel, yes, I can do this because so many people still feel I'm not a good cook. I can't do this. I would never make this taste good. But actually, look, when you're talking about complicated patisserie, obviously that's a real art form, but something like this, simple stir fries, tray bakes, one pot meals, we can all do this. And I think it's overwhelming at the start if you're taking on any kind of lifestyle change, as you said, because that's what it is. And I'm sure you were overwhelmed at the start with new ingredients, new ways of cooking, replacing a chicken breast with something else. But after a while, it just becomes the way you live. A hundred percent. And that's why I would also say like there is so much power in small habits. Like I think we... And particularly in the world we live in today with 24-7 news cycles, you need a lot of good clickbait and 
with TikTok and the rest of the world of social media, it's so much more interesting to see someone take an ice bath than it is to watch them peel a carrot. You know, it's so much more interesting to talk about like amazing celebrity routines, etc. again, than it is to say, take a 10 minute walk on your lunch break. But I think we've got to move health back into these small, simple habits that feel feasible, manageable on a daily basis, like going for a walk on your lunch break like getting up a few minutes early and doing a short breathing exercise, like making a stir fry for dinner with lots of veg in it. And it's reminding yourself every day, just wake up and say, what is the one thing that I'm going to do today to help my health? You don't need to do it all. Just pick one thing and just keep doing that. And as you said, I think you'll be so surprised what changes. And we, I feel as a culture, as a society, we have this real tendency to massively massively overestimate what we can achieve in a day a week a month and we want quick fixes we want instant answers but often that means we're doing things in a totally unsustainable way but we really underestimate what we achieve in a year what we achieve in a decade and I think again it's that ask yourself what's the one thing today get one percent closer to where you want to be every day and if you did that every single day imagine how far past the goal you'd end up being and these habits would become natural So it's not about changing everything in your diet today. No one's asking you to become 100% plant-based. No one's asking you to eat 100% not ultra-processed food. It's just, let's eat less ultra-processed food. Let's cook more. Let's eat more veggies. Let's try and get our five a day. Just add some frozen peas to your next meal. Like make it easy, but keep going with it. And don't put it off again, because we do so much of waiting and waiting for the perfect time. And there is no perfect time. Like there's no better time than today. But to do it slowly and gently, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Don't not do anything for your health because you can't do everything because you'll never probably be able to do everything and you'll never be able to keep everything up. Yeah. Do you find it hard to keep things simple with everything you've got going on? Yeah. I mean, look, like this month I've been traveling the whole time. Like I've, you know, I got home last night at about 11 from a talk and I left my house at 5 a.m. this morning to get here. So you just do what you can. You know, it's like and every day, every week, every month is different. And as I said, that's where we let perfect be the enemy of good. We say, oh, we're not going to make any healthy choices because we can't make all the healthy choices. And we're not going to do a 10 minute stretch at home from an online video because we can't go to the gym, you know. And I think that's really, really important way of thinking about it. Yeah, I love it. Well, you could do a lot worse than start with this book and maybe a recipe a week from it. Healthy Made Simple. Ellen Mills, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. So that's it for Live and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Hugo De Silva-Scott who was on sound and thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.